You're listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas sermon podcast. For almost 130 years, FBCMF has served the Marble Falls and the Greater Highland Lakes area faithfully through children's programs, youth activities, and adult discipleship. We invite you to join us each and every Sunday at 9 and 10.30 a.m. for deep fellowship, rich worship, and a spirit-filled message. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org. I'm preaching a sermon series on uh, first impressions, which is our uh, curriculum, which is our study about what it means to be a part of our church and what it means to be a member of our church. And and so as I talk about all of that, I, I had an interesting encounter a couple of weeks ago, we have intelligent, amazing children in our church. And a couple of weeks ago, I was in Numinous, and I uh, encountered one of these kids. His name is Nathan Wilson, and uh, he's 11 years old. I was at the coffee shop, and he, he came over to me, and he said, Hi, Pastor Ross. And he said, What are you doing? And I said, Well, I'm just having a cup of coffee, and uh, I'm studying. And he goes, Me too. And, and, I, and he asked me, do you know much about photography? And, and I said, well, as a matter of fact, I don't, Nathan. Do you know much about photography? And he said, I do. And uh, he said, I'll tell you. And he began to teach me. He began to show me things about photography. And he began to talk about what the colors and, and the different lines. And, and, and at that moment, in the coffee shop, there were these beautiful pictures all over the coffee shop. And, and he began to say, now look at this one. Do you see how this looks this way? And look at this one. Do you see? And I said, yeah, I think. And, and he was showing me. And then he took out his own camera. And he said, would you like to see some of my photographs? And I said, yeah. And he showed me. And he began to go through them. And really, I was, I was quite impressed because I... I think they were quite good. And he asked me what I was preaching on. And I said, well, I'm talking about what it means to be part of a church. And I asked him, Nathan, what do you think it means to be part of a church? And this was his response. And I begin this morning by quoting an 11-year-old theologian, uh, Nathan Wilson. And this is what he said to me. The more beautiful the subject is, the more you're drawn to it. And so the beauty of the church is love and compassion and obedience. And the more we have of that beauty, the more people are drawn to it, like photography. And he brought it all back around, uh, like a good preacher might. And uh, and I I was blown away, and it helped me. It helped me to think through all of it. And so what we're doing is we're talking about the beauty of a church, the church that Jesus Christ created. And uh, and if you have your Bibles with you, I I hope you brought them. Please look with me in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 this morning. Look at verse 42. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. 
this is the church, it's speaking to the church. The church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. There was teaching involved. And it says, and they devoted themselves to fellowship and breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders, miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together. They had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily people who were being saved. All right. The Greek word that is used for church is, is the word ekklesia. Ekklesia. Everybody say with me. Ekklesia. Ekklesia. Now, the study of ekklesia, the study of a church, is called ecclesiology. And, um, and, and y- y- y'all can sit down. We're, uh, the, in fact, let me pray. I'll pray for us, and, and then we'll continue. Lord, be with us as we study your word, and we pray that you will uh, weigh it upon us. We pray, Father, that your spirit will be here and will empower us and, uh, and, and help us to focus and to think about this very, very important topic. In Jesus' name that we pray, amen. Amen. Ecclesia or ecclesia, or the word ecclesiology. I think that today, for anyone who is a generation X, which is about 45 years old, all the way down through millennials, that ecclesiology is one of the most important studies that you're going to find in theology, because what we're finding is more and more Christian people who claim that the church doesn't matter who believe that the church is not worth anything at all, and what we are needing is an ecclesiology, a study of what it really means to be the church, to to have a theology about us, to have a, a mission, to have these things, what it really means to do all the things that we do is called ecclesiology. It's studying these things. And we need an ecclesiology in our Sunday school classes and small groups and ecclesiology for the youth ministry and our children's ministry as well because we need to understand what it means to be the church, the ecclesia. Now, at first, the word ecclesia, church, it didn't refer to a religious gathering at all. What it was referring to in the Roman culture is when a group of politicians got together and they had a meeting and it had political ramifications to it. And so the local gathering of the politicians or the local gathering of people to discuss politics, they called that the ecclesia. And because of this, oftentimes Christian churches were banned Because naturally, the Roman officials assumed that they were just stirring up political trouble by by their meetings. When they would come together and have their meetings, and they called it the ecclesia, the word in the mind of the Roman officials was, you're doing something political, and it's going to be undermining to the way that the rest of society is supposed to operate. And so they would go in, and they would stomp it out and shut down the church. But it wasn't always a, a political kind of impression. Oftentimes, it simply was a local group of people gathering together to discuss something or to figure out something, and they called that the church. 
in the Hebrew Bible, um, and in the Hebrew times, the word church referred to a local gathering of Israelites who had congregated to hear a reading of the, the Old Testament. So whenever they would come together and a priest would say, I'm going to read from the prophet Isaiah, that gathering was often called the Ecclesia. In the New Testament, it took on a totally different movement. The church was different because there were ecclesias everywhere. There were churches everywhere. And Jesus said, now I'm going to build my ecclesia. And my ecclesia, the ecclesia of Jesus Christ, are going to be committed to following the teachings of the apostles and those teachings centered on the nature and the person of Jesus Christ and what that means. And because these churches... Uh, were, were, were diverse and because they had many, many attributes to them. In the New Testament, you're going to find that there are lots of metaphors and, and lots of uh, uh, very peculiar attributes that are and analogies that describe these attributes all through the New Testament. And so a church is described as a lot of different things. Um, a church is described in 1 Corinthians 12 as the body, the body. And, and, and it's a good way to talk about the church because in that analogy, it's the picture of people with very different skill sets and very different passions all coming together to do one big moving thing. It's people coming together saying, I'm good with youth and I'm going to work in the youth department and other people saying, I'm good with finances and I'm going to work in the finance committee and all these things and the people coming together to do the work. It's the body of Christ. It's a great analogy, but that's not. And we, and we call ourselves the body of Christ. So we, we use that analogy, but that's not the only analogy we use. The Bible also talks about the church and describes it in terms of being a family or a household. In Ephesians chapter 2, it says that you are, a, you are members of a household or a family. That's my favorite one, I think. I love the analogy of us being family together. You know, when we are together and we, we, we refer to one another, sometimes as brother and sometimes as sister, when we, when we talk about one another in terms of our, our closeness of, of membership, you know, it's, it's no secret. Guys, I talk to all of you very, very often. I don't know if y'all like it or not. I guess it's just a habit, but I call y'all brother all the stinking time. I just call you brother. I, I do it. it ha I, I developed that habit a long time ago, back when I was at Hardin-Simmons University. I had this professor named Dr. James Shields at Hardin-Simmons, and he was really, really tough. But he called all of us brother, and it was a term of endearment, and I loved for him to call me that. And one day, um, uh, I was in a preaching class, and we were doing our final sermon, supposed to bring our very, very best uh, to this final sermon. And Dr. Shields always wore a flat top, and his hair was silver gray. And so what I did for my final sermon is I, I cut my hair in a flat top, and I dyed it silver. <laughs> and uh, so I go in to preach this sermon, and, uh, and he listens to it, and he's glaring and everything. And and at the end, he goes, Brother Chandler, the only thing good about your sermon was your haircut. <laughs> but he starts out, Brother Chandler, and, uh, and then kind of gets you. Uh, the term brother, the term sister, 
It means that we're family and we use these terms with one another. And, and, and you know the word for uh, household, it's, it's a word oikos. It means that we come together in this very familial kind of thing. And, uh, and, and I like that. In fact, if, if somebody were to say, Ross, what is your favorite analogy to describe what you are at First Baptist Marble Falls or what you strive to be, I would say family of faith. Don't you all like that one? I like it. I think it's a good one, family. And so that, that describes church, but that's not the only analogy. There is another one that talks about our holiness, our holiness, and it's the word temple. Oftentimes the church is described as a temple of God and that before you come in, into the temple that there are things you're putting aside. It talks to the holiness in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 1 Corinthians 3. In these places it says, don't you know that you are the church, the holy temple of God. Be careful in how you act and what you say and what you do and your morality and your ethics. You are a holy people and I have set you apart from the rest of the world. And so there's an aspect of the church that speaks of our separateness from everybody else in the world because we do have a different ethic we do have a different morality. We do have views about what is right and what is wrong. And because of that, we, the Lord draws us and makes us into a holy people. And so we are called the temple as well. But that's not the only one. It goes even further, and churches are often described as a nation. He says that you are a nation. You are citizens of this really special nation and to the, that analogy refers to our kingdom politics. All nations have a politic about it. You can't be a nation without having a specific politic about you. And if we are a holy nation, then there is also a kingdom politic about all of us. So all of these analogies and all of these metaphors begin to draw out different aspects of what the church of God is supposed to be. Um, each one of these metaphors, a body, a family, a temple, a nation, describe who God is calling us to be. Now, if somebody challenged me, if someone did, and they were to say, Ross, why do you think that First Baptist Marble Falls is a New Testament church? Based on what? Then I would go, first I would begin in my mind, and I think I could answer the question easily. In fact, it would be extremely enjoyable for me to answer this question. Um, I, I could answer it with no preparation, none whatsoever. If somebody said, well, how are, why do y'all think y'all are a New Testament church? Because I think that I have, I, there are illustration after illustration, of, as I've seen all of you, year after year, embody these various kinds of analogies. I have seen all of you act like the body of Christ. I, I, I could tell stories about it. Two weeks ago, I was at a nominating committee meeting Crystal Whiteside's the chairman. Roy M. Williams was there, and uh, uh, the, the, the whole, you know almost the whole committee um, was there. Terry Wilson was there, and others. And uh, uh, Greg Deaver's a part of that committee. And so that committee's job is to think about all of you and to see how does the body work and get somebody and put them here and ask somebody to serve here and put everyone into this. So I have these stories of this of this group saying, "Dear Heavenly Father, help us." to ask the right people 
to serve in the right places so that the body of Christ may do really well. Stories about all of that. Family. I got stories about family. If somebody wants to say, how is First Baptist Marble Falls like a family? I can say, the other day I was at the hospital and while I was there with a church member, y'all know there is another church member who almost has never left his side. Joseph McAllister's been in the hospital for a long time. And it seems that Tammy Berkman has never left his side almost. I, I can't explain. I'm sure she has and everything. And I'm not trying to overstate all of this. But I'm saying this, that she's acting like family, don't you think? It's family. And she's not the only one. There are lots of you who do these types of things where you give to somebody as if they were your own son and as if they were your own daughter and that you give and, and, and you sacrifice for one another that you are a family. I have stories to prove it. I have stories to show how uh, the, 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 that you're a body, that you're a nation and you have a certain kind of politic about you that, that, that describes your holiness and your ethics and your morality. I have these stories and I think that they're amazing. It's easy for me to see it. It's easy for me to see how our church is biblical like this. But I'll tell you what's not so easy for me and, and what has been very odd, though. And, and maybe you can help, help me understand this. And that is when somebody says, Ross, you can be a good Christian. And it doesn't matter if you're involved in church or not. It just doesn't matter have any of you ever heard somebody say something like that? Maybe even, maybe you haven't heard it necessarily. Maybe you've heard people talk like that or, or maybe even act that way where, where they say, no, no, you know what? You can be a great follower of Jesus Christ. You can be really strong, committed to the Lord and you don't really have to, you know, be a part of a church at all. I've heard it sometimes, but I'm not sure where they get it. I've looked, but I'm not sure biblically where, where, where they get that. In fact, as I look at Scripture, I don't find any authentic Christian who sees himself as existing outside and, and, and saying, church doesn't matter to me at all. I don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. In Matthew 16, Jesus said, I am building my church. And in Ephesians 5, Jesus said, I love my church and I gave myself up. Meaning I died on the cross for the church. I died for her. And so y'all help me understand something. A Christian is supposed to be devoted to the things that Jesus Christ is devoted to. A Christian, the, the, the word Christian, G-N, I-A-N on the end, it means little Christ. You're supposed to be a little Christ, meaning if the big Christ is devoted to something, I'm devoted to that thing too. If the big Christ is giving his life for something, I'm giving my life for If the big Christ is carrying his cross, I'm carrying mine too. I'm following the big Christ because I am a little Christ. I am a Christian. And if that's true... This is what I've never been under, ever able to understand. Somebody says, oh, Lord, I know that you built the church. I know that you love the church. I know that you died for the church. 
but I just don't care that much about it. In fact, churches make me frustrated. It just rubs me the wrong way. I've never met a preacher I really liked. I don't like the way that they do things. Either they're too big or they're too small. Or I don't like the music. There's always the, you know, I'm just, I'm frustrated with all of it. But Lord, I'm a great Christian. I really love you. I just don't like churches. A buddy of mine um, in college, uh, he named his bed the Word. That was the name of his bed. He called it the Word all the time. So on Sunday mornings, he would sleep in. And then he would tell everybody, I've been in the Word all morning long. What have y'all been doing? All morning. <laughs> y'all, I wonder if, if, if all of you guys were going to teach a, a class and you were to have to create the curriculum for the class, uh, would you write into that curriculum that the ecclesia is important? If you were teaching it, if you were going to teach somebody how to follow the Lord, what role would the ecclesia play in the theological development of your curriculum that you're teaching? And what would you say about it if it is? And I think it's important today because younger and younger generations, they begin to not care about it. And parents, if we don't care about it, our kids really won't. It's, it's not something where you tell a kid, oh, this matters for you. You have to show that it matters to you as parents. Churches can do the, the kingdom work of God together the way that we heard it a moment ago with the South Texas Children's Home and, and Bulgaria and all of these places and what we're going to do this next year in 2017, which is really remarkable. I can't wait to talk to you about all of it. Um, churches do the kingdom work of God. But that's not all. We also offer our voice, our corporate voice about what we believe, about the things happening in our world and to our world. If something happens in our world and it's an abomination and it's, and it's bad and it's evil and it hurts people, then we have a corporate voice that stands and, and, and we, we offer a subversive alternative to whatever dominant issues everybody in our world and in the mainstream world seems to, to buy in and seems to say is okay. We have something different to say. It's our voice, our prophetic voice as a church that even if the rest of the world goes haywire, we say, no, no, First Baptist Marble Falls believes this and, and it is all of us saying this together. It's our voice. This is what we believe. It's not just that. We, we care for one another and we, we learn and we grow in the Word of God together. And when a church is healthy, it's one of the most powerful and amazing things when it's healthy. But when it's not, when it's at its worst, churches can leave people with horrible scars that last and last. There, there is all kinds of ways that churches can, can mess this up, this, this beautiful thing that God created. There's one little thing called pastoral abuse. There's another thing called congregational abuse. There are moments when people have all kinds of mixed up ideas. There are other moments when the church gets way, way, way off. Um, 
I was a minister at a church before I came here, and uh, I, I got there, and I was about 27 years old. And when I got to the church um, to be a pastor, I was following somebody who was involved in one of these clergy abuse scandals um, that, that is kind of heard all over the country. And uh, so I got to the church, and it was awful. The pastor before me had made some really, really bad decisions. And um, he made some bad decisions with a minor. And so when I got there, the pastor had been arrested. And uh, the church was in a multi-million dollar lawsuit. And, and so I got there, and, and all of the people were really, were really suffering. And, um, and, and, and they would come up, and, and, and I would go, and I'd see people, and little boys and little girls, and I'd give them a big hug. And, and a deacon would come over to me, or somebody in the church would come and say, Brother Ross, you better be careful hugging everybody like that. And they'd say, you know, the, the, the perception could really get you in trouble because, you know, everything that happened before you, that's really on everybody's mind. And so I said, so I can't hug our people? I, I don't know how to be a minister without expressing love and talking to people and hugging them. I don't know how to do it like that. But it was this pastoral abuse that happened before me that had this trickle-down effect that made people not trust me either. They didn't want to trust. It was a trust issue that, that, that began to be hurt. And, and, and people would come up and they'd say, you know, so-and-so baptized me. And I just wonder, do you think it took? <laughs> and, do you think it took? Because he's a bad, a bad dude. And, and, uh, and I said, you know... He didn't baptize you in his name. Baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ. It's in, it's in his name. Not, not his. So yes, it took. Uh, absolutely. It's something bigger. Y'all know, it, it's hard to find a good church. With all of the issues in our society, Tom Rainer is a theologian who writes a lot about growing in healthy churches. And in his research, he documents some of the reasons that he heard that some people left their churches. And here were some of the, the petty arguments that he heard that was happening in these places. And, and these are just great. Listen to this. Um, churches have these disputes and arguments for all kinds of reasons. Here are a couple. One church had a dispute of whether or not to install restroom stall dividers in the woman's restroom. It's a dispute. I, I'm wondering what the arguments were like in that business meeting. Somebody is over here and they say, the women need the dividers. And then somebody over here says, no, women need unity in the church. This is what we're going for. It's what the Bible says. And these over here say, no, no, no. I mean, you tell me. What in the world could have been the argument against dividers? But they had it. Man, Here's one. One church had a, a petition passed around to everybody in the church that said all church staff had to be clean shaven. It's good stuff. Yeah. I think that's, I'm the only one. I'm the only one who stays. Golly. And it's no shave November. So who knows at the end of the month? Also, here, here's a good one. One church had a dispute because the Lord's Supper had 
cran grape juice instead of what? Yeah, wine. You got it right. Yeah, grape, grape juice. I, and because it's heresy to do that. That's wrong. Here's one. A major conflict broke out in one church because the youth borrowed a crock pot from the kitchen without asking about it. Yeah, you're gasping at the right moment. Okay, here's a really good one. Um, one church argued. Now, if, if any of you were members of these churches and now you're here and you're like, yeah, I was in that meeting. I'm so sorry. Uh, one church argued whether or not when the church came together for a big dinner on the grounds and everybody brought food and stuff, they argued whether or not it should be called a potluck dinner or a pot blessing dinner. Oh. Yeah, that's a good argument to have. Um, and, then, and then this one is, is great. Uh, I have time for just this one more. One lady got chewed up and down by another lady at the church because she brought vanilla syrup to be used in the coffee, to sweeten coffee. Now, why would another lady get mad at her for doing that? And here, here is why. Because the lady who got mad said that the, uh, the vanilla syrup looked too much like liquor to be in the church. She needs a drink of liquor, doesn't she? <laughs> she needs a little drink, man. I'm just kidding. Um, this is, it's good. I, it's hard to find a good church, but it's worth the effort. It's worth the effort because the local church is the hope of the world. That's why Jesus works in and through the local church so that people can know who Christ Jesus is in tangible, concrete ways. The hope of Christ is lived out in the church. If, if all we had were beliefs about Jesus, just beliefs about him, we believe that he did this, we believe all of these things, but all of those beliefs, and we didn't have the church for those beliefs to be expressed, then all of our beliefs would become abstract kinds of ideas. But it's when those beliefs find its real footing in the experience of the church with, with friends and people who labor for it, then those abstract concepts become so valid and so good. The church is one of the main places, if not the main place, where people can experience the kingdom of God. We have a study that helps people to think through this, and, and Tucker wrote it, and uh, it, the study is called First Impressions. It's a great teaching. And it talks about all of these things, what the church is supposed to be, and how to be a part of it. And so one thing you'll find in that study is that people relate to our church in a lot of different ways. And over the years, I've discovered that there are really four ways that, that all of you relate to one another in this assembly, this ecclesia that we call the church, four ways. Um, and, uh, and so some people come for the very first time, and they're visiting. And so I've discovered that those people are kind of part of the crowd this morning. And so here's what crowd means. Here's crowd. There it is. Crowd. 
People who attend for the first few times and consider themselves only visitors. And that's great. All of you, and, and even me, myself, we are all visitors. We are all part of the crowd at one point in time. Now, our prayer, though, is that people want to be a part of a church and that they don't just stay part of the general crowd, wherever God is calling them to be. So we pray, Lord, please help them. Give, give, weigh it on their hearts. Where do you want them to be? And so we hope that people take a little step past crowd and go a little bit further. And, and, and so they become, they take a further step into becoming what's called the connected. Connected. And here's connected. Connected. People who may not come often and are not ready to be on any roll, but they have decided that when they go to church, this is where they want to attend. Okay, and, and, and they're not extremely committed, but they're connected to it. If you would ask them all, throughout all of Marble Falls, do you have a church home? They might say, yeah, First Baptist Marble Falls is my church home, even if they only come on Mother's Day. Even if they only come just a couple times a year, even if you hardly even know who they are, they consider themselves a part of all of you. And they're not on any role. I couldn't go and look in our systems and say, oh, so here's so-and-so. I can't do that. They don't want to be that much involved. But if you ask them, they'll say, yeah, we, 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 we like it. We're, we're connected. And um, we, we hope that eventually... We don't believe that this is exactly where people should be forever. Now we, but we'll, we give it validation. That's a good place to be for a lot of people. And that's all right. But eventually, God wants something more. And so here is another thing that we've noticed. Some people consider themselves a part of the committed. They relate to our church in this kind of way. People who attend regularly. And they've given their information because they want to be in our system. They want to be known. They love our church. They want to be involved. And they want us to know who they are. But they are not ready to step over and to become a part of the core membership yet. But, but they're part of this committed. And I want to tell you why this is an important place. And there are a lot of people who say, you know what, this is where I am. And, 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 and that's all right, because God is the one who is moving all these things. We don't want a single person to think, oh, I have to jump all the way into the, you know, the most active and the most uh, responsible group. If the Lord, and we trust this, we trust that the Lord slowly moves people where he wants to move them. So there is no manipulation, there's no coercion, there's no quick kind of movement. And I've met people here in this congregation, and the reason they say, Ross, we don't want to be members. And I say, tell me your story. And they say, because we're hurting, because we've had a really negative experience somewhere, because we're struggling, we don't want to be full members. Can we just come and worship and be loved? And I say, absolutely. You can come and, 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 and we'll just care for you in that regard. We just, we'll, we'll, we'll be committed to you. And you don't have to just jump all the way in. And that's all right. There are some people, and they're like, man, this is where I need to be for a while. And that is a good place to be. I know former ministers. And they go and they join another church. And, and, and they'll say, you know what? I'm just going to be a part of the church at this kind of level. And that's all right. But eventually... Eventually, God may move them to take another step. And then here is another place, uh, uh, another step. It's called the core. This is the core membership. 
Now, the core is different. The core is different because we believe this, that God owns the church. He's the owner of it, not me and not anybody else, but the core are the stewards of it, the stewards of what God owns. The core are the people who take the well-being of the church upon their shoulders. These are the members. If you are a member at this moment, I'm talking to you in this regard. You take the well-being of what we do upon your shoulders agreeing with one another in theology, committed to discipleship, expressed in small groups, and serving and in stewardship, all of these things. Now let me ask you this. Here's all of them. Put all of them up there. You have the crowd, the connected, the committed, and the core. How do you relate? to one another here in this assembly. Where do, where do you fit in all of this? And I want you to know wherever it is, is valid. Wherever it is, it's probably where God wants you to be. But here is the prayer though. Lord, is this where you always want me to be? Or are you calling me to take a step forward or maybe even take a step backward? Lord, where do you want me in all of this? See, the Bible talks a whole lot about being a member of a church. The Bible uses the word member to the church in Romans 12, Ephesians 3, and 1 Corinthians 12. The word member is used a lot. In Ephesians 2, it says, you are members of the household of God in Ephesus, the church. And he talks to them about who they, they are. But, you know, the, the, the word membership, it just gets watered down all over our society. Um, you can be a member of a lot of different places, and, and it doesn't mean the same thing. Um, I am a member of the YMCA. I like it. But I have never been invited to a board meeting. They're not asking me. Now, I have opinions. I'd love to share with them what I think about the swimming pool and the workout facilities and all of these things. I have something to say, but they don't care. They're just going to move right, right on. They have a different group of people who are the decision makers of that place. Now, depending on how an organization is set up, often the members don't have a voice. Now, they may have a privilege to certain things and certain rights that other people may not give, but they don't have a voice in the decision-making process. The decision makers are the board of directors and the regents and the staff because that's the way their government is set up. And uh, in those places, if you're a member of those places, you don't have many responsibilities. You get privileges when you're a member, but no responsibilities. The governing board takes all the responsibilities on their own shoulders for you. The members in some organizations are the receivers, and the board of directors are the givers. And they're the ones that do all of the work on your behalf. And because of that, there are some people who, who think, as I get into the church and as I want to be a part of the membership and want to be a part of the core, that it must look something like that, that it comes with all of these benefits and privileges. And that's not always it. By being a core member, it means you have a responsibility and the well-being of the church sits on your shoulders. You have to move forward and make these decisions. 
you're expected not just to be the receivers all the time. The membership are not just the receivers, getting, 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 getting. No, no, no. The receivers are, I mean, the members are the ones giving and giving, sacrificing over and over. In Acts 2, that we read just a moment ago, it said that the early church devoted themselves to these things. It means they gave of themselves to these types of things. They gave of themselves in generosity to one another. They gave of themselves to seeing the church move forward. They gave of themselves to teaching. They gave of themselves to fellowship. It is them being devoted, giving, not just a kind of membership where they sit back and they say, what do you have for me lately? The core, the core is different. Now in this day, some people ask, Ross, what, does strong, what, is, what do churches need in order to be strong? Maybe, let me take a guess this morning. Maybe what the church in the United States needs more than anything else is to not water down what it means to be a member of the church. That if you call yourself the church, if you say that I am a part of the body of Christ, then you're devoted to what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And we hold one another accountable to it, and this is who we become. And we love and we bear one another's burdens, but we don't water down the core membership. Maybe that's what it means. You've been listening to the First Baptist Church of Marble Falls, Texas Sermon Podcast. Never miss an archived sermon by subscribing to our podcast on either SoundCloud or iTunes. For more information about our church or to watch a video version of this and other sermons, please visit us online at fbcmf.org.